Well, good morning, Chorus Church. We have been thinking of you guys in the last few weeks in particular since uh, I received a phone call and my wife and I have been praying for you and uh, we've been uh, snooping on you a little bit on the website and the Facebook thing and trying to get a little bit of feel for you guys and it's just so precious to be with you as a church family and um, I'm a family guy and I guess it says that in a little program, I come from a large family. But I tell you, in Christ, we got one huge family. And it's just always amazing, whether I'm a, a part of the Christian community in the Midwest or traveling around some of the places in the world or here in California, uh, the beauty that we have as one in Christ is incredible. And I tell you, there's a lot of people on the outside of uh, the Christ family that need to be a part of Christ's family. And uh, we'll be looking and focusing on that a little bit. But this is a big day. It was a big day I knew was coming for you guys. You guys gave uh, Dave and his wife a good celebration, send-off, and commissioning for their next work. And I'm looking forward to meeting them uh, this week. And uh, then you start focusing on, you know, who's this, you know, family coming and, and what's up and what's going to happen with us as a church. And so and uh, we're like, okay, we're going to come out to California. My son Ryan is actually at Azusa Pacific University up the way, and so we're sort of <laughs> we're sort of familiar with the area some and that kind of thing. And uh, uh, had the opportunity to speak actually at the Grove, the church up in Riverside, a couple years ago to the district pastors. Bill Malik had me come in, so uh, it was sort of big for us to think, wow, could God really be leading us here? And so big day for all of us. Yeah, big week. Big schedule coming up, a lot of things. You guys like to eat a lot, I see. We're going to be going to a few houses, barbecues, whatever. Hey, all sounds good. But, you know, today is also a big day for uh, another reason. Actually, there's a lot of other people that are pretty excited about this. Maybe you're excited about it, long time coming, been waiting around. But this is opening weekend for NFL football. What do you think? You bet you, man. And so uh, in, Indiana, in, in, in Indiana, we cheer for two teams now. We cheer for the Colts, of course, with Andrew Luck. And, and we also have to cheer for Peyton Manning because we just can't let Peyton go. And uh, so that was a great game Thursday night. Uh, they do play each other this week, uh, this uh, season, and that's going to be a tough one. But uh, we'll side with Andrew, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, the interesting thing is uh, I was watching the game Thursday night, and, and I was thinking, you know, people get so into football and they analyze it. Some of you probably have, you know, fantasy teams and that kind of thing. There's a lot of data, a lot of statistics, a lot of players. And, and you've got to get in the know about all this stuff, right? And, and usually somewhere during the course of a game, they flip up these statistics that, you know, are happening at halftime. Usually on the other side of halftime, it's definitely, you know, what happened in the first half between this team and that team, how many first downs were there, and, and how, many, how many yards were there gained, third down conversion, turnover advantage, all those kind of statistics, right? Right. You guys are responsive. It's good. <laughs> But, you know, all those statistics really don't matter except for one. And what's that? Who wins the game? What's on the scoreboard? Now, what's on the scoreboard? Is it first downs and third down conversions and passing yard completions and, and turnover? No. What's on the scoreboard is who has the most points, who's winning. And I just want to ask you and I today, What's on our 
scoreboard. You see, you can have all the statistics leaning in your favor. You can win, you know, you can have the fewest birdies on the first round of golf in a professional tourney, but that doesn't mean anything come Sunday if you haven't played well through the weekend, right? You know, my sons, both Ryan, who's here, as well as my junior uh, back in Indiana, uh, they introduced me to something I wasn't familiar with growing up, and it's called show choir. They're great singers, and they, they do all the dance stuff and that kind of thing. Well, my wife and I, we go to these show choir competitions, and I'm like, I'm going to enjoy some. But, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on in these competitions. You're there all day until midnight, man, until they crown a grand champion. And that grand champion is crowned not by just who looks the prettiest or who you think or you feel for, that, oh, they should, that choir should win. No, they are judging right and left all kinds of things, vocal quality, choreography, stage set, the ensemble, and it's all tallied up at the end, and guess what? There's one winner, because what's on the scorecard is the most important thing. Now, sometimes I'm concerned about the judging and those kind of things, but you know how that goes. It doesn't matter what's on the scorecard. What's on the scorecard in your life? What's on the scoreboard in your life concerning what it means to have a winning faith? I just want to share out of my heart today who I am as a person. And what God continues to remind me about is the most important thing. And it's the one consuming passion that we need to have week in and week out. And that one consuming passion is to know Christ and to make Him known. I know we already prayed here today, but would you pray with me? Our Lord Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that wherever two or three are gathered that You are in our presence. And that, Lord, is both an awesome thing and a scary thing. There's a lot going on in all of our lives. There's transition going on in this church body, transition going on with my family over the last number of months. But Lord, the most important thing is that you are front and center in our lives as individuals, as corporate communities, and to a lost world. Lord, may you breathe afresh into our hearts that passion to know you and to make you known. In your name we pray. You know, the Apostle Paul, I want us to look at a familiar passage for many of us maybe this morning. It's found in Philippians 3. But the Apostle Paul was challenged with this throughout his life to make sure he had the right thing on the scoreboard. He had his B.C. days, before Christ days, and he had all kinds of things that he was keeping track of. But then he came to know Christ on that road to Damascus, and things radically changed for him. And he began not only getting to know Christ, but seeking to let others know about him. And he traveled far and wide around the Mesopotamian, Mediterranean area, teaching and challenging folks. And in this particular letter, he's in prison. And he's writing a letter to the Christians in Philippi. And they weren't wealthy folks in Philippi. And they were under a lot of affliction. But it's a really good, encouraging kind of letter, Philippians is. And he writes them this in Philippians 3. He simply says this. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write to you the same thing again. 
It is a safeguard for you. But watch out for those dogs. Those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship God by the Spirit, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who take no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone, if anyone has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now you tell me this morning, friends, was the Apostle Paul single-minded with one passion? He had on his scoreboard of, of previous years all kinds of things that, that the other Judaizers and legalistic people that were afflicting the Philippians had on their scoreboard, you know? Who's performed all the right rituals? Who has the right heritage? Who comes from the right family? Who possesses the most wholesome Hebraic religion? Oh, and yeah, who has the right kind of occupation? And who, who, uh, uh, who's really zealous? What about morality? Let's just list them all up there. Paul was playing that game. He was focused on those statistics for so long as a good Jew. He was. He could, you know, we can't go into it this morning, but you could go through that list of those seven things that he, he captures. And everybody, if you were in first century, you'd sit back and go, whoa, he's one great guy. Wow, I couldn't touch his credentials. But what does Paul say? He says, I consider it all a loss compared to one thing to know Jesus Christ. Don't you wish you could have been there on that road to Damascus? I mean, Syria's in the news and all that kind of stuff going on, and right there's Damascus in the midst of it. My mind's always flashing back to biblical stuff, and it, I don't know about you, but when I read the Scripture, I sort of like, you know, I'm still in the Bible, but we're just a few more years down the road, and so, you know, world events, I'm sort of relating back and forth and that kind of thing. Couldn't you just have loved to have been there to see Jesus appear to Paul on the way and strikes him down, man? Oh, who's there? Oh, my goodness. You are the Lord of the universe. 
Life was changed in a moment. He said, it's all rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Now, I want to ask you, usually we think, because we get into our own list on the scoreboard of the things that you need to stay away from. So we're saying, well, that's rubbish to get caught up into materialism and promiscuity and other kinds of things that, that just aren't wholesome, to be arrogant and private. Yeah, he's, he's, he's not saying those things are rubbish. We know they're rubbish. He's saying what religious people get into counting of worth is rubbish. We're sizing each other up. You know what happens at pastors' conferences. You sort of get to know, oh, huh? where are you at? How many people in your church? How big a building you got? What's your budget? You're sort of sizing up the pecking order. But we do that in each other's lives too. You know, what neighborhood are they living in? And how long have you been a Christian? How long have you been hanging around, course? Oh, you're brand new today. Oh, good. If you are brand new, I'm good. I'm glad you're here. But you know what? We're not interested in any of that. At least we shouldn't be. Now, statistics and all that have their value. It helps you know how to play the game better and what your weak points are and grow. I'm not discarding that. There's value in it. And Paul's not saying necessarily he's just, you know, saying that's totally you. He says in comparison to the worth of knowing Christ, all this other is just rubbish. And please, please, my friends in Philippi, do not let those dogs get to you. Now, these aren't like nice dogs, house dogs. We got on the plane yesterday, and I'm like, okay, Southwest flight seat. So it was sort of do the cattle call, who can get on and get to the right seats, right? So, you know, I get on the call, okay, oh, my goodness, we're in B section, and we're, I'm heading to the back. We want a window seat. My wife does, and we sit in the middle. Oh, we get to the back. We can have all three seats. Maybe I'll sit in the middle and not look at anybody. They won't sit in my seat. Oh, there's two kids, children in front of us. That's okay. My wife's a preschool director, and uh, she takes care of infants now, too. And so I'm used to crying babies. I can deal with that. So we got on, and so like, I'm okay. Good, we got the middle seat. I'm great. And then all of a sudden I heard. <laughs> and I'm like, that's amazing. Those kids have a doggy toy that sounds like a real dog. And I looked over and the lady sitting in the next row, she has a dog. Now, that's fine. I just have never seen a dog on a plane before. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe you travel with a dog. And that's cool. But I'm thinking to myself, you can't get that dog out. And that dog is going to bark. And what are you going to do? Well, the dogs that Paul was referring to, the dog did pretty good. He whimpered here and there. I actually felt for him. Because you could see him out of a little screen that he had. <laughs> I went, hey. And, uh, you know, they had a nice little dog. I mean, I'm sitting here refreshing some of my scripture memory and stuff. I'm saying, man, those ain't the dogs that Paul's talking about. He's talking about wild dogs. Wild, scary, ugly, scrawny, scrounging dogs. And he's relating to people that put stuff on the scoreboard that's legalistic and self-righteous as a bunch of wild dogs trying to tear at your life to keep you and I away from the simple, pure joy of knowing Christ. And he says, watch out for them. They're mutilators of the flesh. Circumcision was the big issue back then. See, right? Because they had to circumcise people. That was part of the Hebrew law to say that you're in the in crowd. And so, well, if you're going to follow Christ, that's okay. But you've got to be circumcised too. It was sort of Jesus plus stuff, all right? You know, Jesus is no plus stuff here. It's Jesus. Jesus and him alone. 
And so Paul's just simply reminding them, and he reminds us through his word today, if you're gauging where you're at spiritually upon how well you've been doing in your Bible study, your prayer life, how many times you've been in church, what other people around you think, please don't go there. It'll suck the joy out of your life from purely knowing Jesus Christ. Now, we need to be in the Word, and we need to pray. We need to be active about many of the spiritual disciplines, but those are all calisthenics. It's all preseason kind of training, so when the game comes, we play the game well, and we can win on the scoreboard, which is to know Christ. Because here's Paul. He just sort of launches out, and he goes, you know, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. What do you mean rejoice, man? You're in prison. What are you on? I have to time and again remind myself of what Jesus wants us to be on. He wants us to be passionately in love with him. How are you doing on that one today? How are you doing on that one today? My dad died this spring. 86 years old. He didn't know Christ growing up. He didn't even know what Easter was until he was 17 years old. Good moral family. Farmers. He came to know Christ shortly after he met my mother, who came out of a solid Christian home. Her parents were Gideons. And um, my dad lived a good life. He was a hard worker. He raised us kids well. It was fun to work side by side with my brothers and him on a large grain farm in Indiana, but it's hard to have your dad die. God gave him some extra years, which we were thankful for, but I always knew that day would come when you got the phone call. Some of you have been there. Some of you are afraid of it right now. We gathered for the funeral viewing. Six hours stood in front of my mom and us siblings, to be able to greet people. The funeral director uh, gathered us together in a room behind a curtain and uh, five kids, 18 grandkids, and then spouses. So it was a good circle of us. And he said, uh, well, I wait just a moment and I'll come get you. And he did. He came and got us. And I said, Mom, why don't you and us kids just go in first? And so we went around and we viewed Dad lying there in the casket and um, yeah, he was looking good and all those kinds of things, but he wasn't there, right? He was with the Lord. Tough moment, though, when you realize they're gone. Thankfully, we know that they're gone somewhere, that we'll see them again, that they're followers of Christ. And uh, I finally turned to the funeral director after a few moments, and I said, you can go get the spouses and maybe some of the other grandkids and bring them around the corner. And he goes, he comes back, and he walks up to me, and he goes, uh... I went back here, and um, uh, they're praying. And I go, oh, well, that's good, so I'll go see. So I went back around the curtain, and there was my beautiful wife, Melissa, and she had taken the lead with the initiative of some others, and they had all circled up. All 18 grandkids pretty much were there and holding hands and spouses, and they were praying for the weekend, thanking God for Grandpa and the beautiful experience and life he'd given and that it would be an honoring time to worship him. And um, I so much wanted to go back around, walk up to my dad and say, Dad, 
come with me for a second. Because <laughs> all 18 of those grandkids at some level have a relationship with Christ. And uh, I remember my dad always saying the thing he only cared about was everybody knew Jesus. And um, I couldn't take him there. But I tell you what, when you pass from this life to the next, you don't take anything with you. There's no U-Haul following the hearse, right? But he left behind a really good heritage that he poured into to challenge us. He's always championed me in my life and my call to ministry. And he has missed in this life, but I am so grateful to know that I will see him again because he knew what was on the scoreboard that really mattered. To know Christ and to make him know. The Apostle Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. There's something incredibly beautiful about the power of a resurrection that you and I will literally physically experience someday in our bones, in our body as he makes us new. Or unless the Lord returns before then and we're caught up in the clouds to be with him and forever. The Lord Jesus very life, his resurrection life is a part of us. Paul said, I want to know Christ. I want to be found in him. We want him in us, but we are found in him, and all that's been applied to Christ's life is applied to our life, and we have the privilege of experiencing the resurrection, and Paul longed for it. And I also says, I want to know not just the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. And we go, no, 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 let's not go there. The last year has been a journey for my wife and I and our whole family. Transitions we would have never thought. Now, I would never say that we experience the sufferings of Christ, definitely the physical sufferings of Christ, but change and transition and uncertainty. You've been there. You know what it's like. Suffering. In the question mark. (laughs) Don't like to live there long. But the Lord says what? You focus on one thing. You focus on knowing me. And that's what we've been faithfully doing. And that's I would challenge us. Just here in a morning, simple morning such as life. Like this, when you guys are living in a question mark of what God's leading is for you, you focus on one thing. Because it's Jesus Christ and him alone that matters. John Piper wrote a book called God is the Gospel. And in that book, he references a question. I think that's a good question. He says this. Because we're always adding things to Jesus, aren't we? He says this. If you could go to heaven where there is no sickness, where there's no sickness and there's all the friends that you've ever had, all the food you've ever liked, all the... um, things you've ever enjoyed in your leisure activity, all the beautiful scenery you've ever experienced in the world, all the pleasures that you've had the opportunity to be a part of it, that was all a part of heaven. And there was, there was no human conflict and no natural disasters. If you could go to heaven like that, would you be satisfied if Christ was not there? You see, a lot of times we come into this Christian faith because we're wanting what Christ gives and we're really not interested all that much maybe in Christ himself. You see, Jesus is the gospel. He gave his very presence. Christianity is historical not because 
He came and set out a bunch of social order that all needs to be followed. He came and gave his very life, his personhood to be in relationship with you and I. And that is the gospel of hope that we have to share with people. Malcolm Muggeridge was a um, British editor, Punch Magazine, I believe it was, an author. At one time he was an atheist and he came to know Christ after all the things of the world. And um, he died in a few years ago, but in 2008, he said some words, that are sort of one of the more famous quotes of Malcolm Muggeridge. And he was looking back upon his life and the world scene and all that had gone on and transpired and what he'd come to know, a man that's revered in his country. And he says this. He said this. We look back upon history and what do we see? Empires rising and falling. Empires rising and following, we see wealth accumulating and wealth dispersed. Revolutions and counter-revolutions. One nation dominant and then another. Shakespeare speaks of the rise and the fall of the great ones that ebb and flow with the moon. I look back upon my own fellow countrymen who ruled over a quarter of the world. Most of them convinced in the words of still a favorite song, that the God who's made the mighty might make them mightier still. I've heard a cracked crazed Austrian announce to the world that he would establish a German Reich that would last for a thousand years. An Italian clown that announced he was going to restart the calendar with his own ascension to power. And I heard a murderous Georgian brigand in the Kremlin acclaimed by the intellectual elites of the world as wiser than a Solomon, more humane than Marcus Aurelius, and more enlightened than a Schoeffer. I've seen America. I've seen America wealthier and in terms of weaponry more powerful than all the world put together so that if the American people had so chosen, they could have outdone an Alexander or a Julius Caesar in the range and the scale of their conquest. All in one lifetime, all in one lifetime, all gone with the wind. England now a tiny island off the coast of Europe, troubled by their dismemberment and even bankruptcy. Hitler and Mussolini dead, remembered only in infamy. Stalin, a man estranged from the regime that he helped found and dominate for some three decades. And America, haunted by the fears of running out of those precious fluids, that keep her motorways roaring and the smog settling and the troubled memories of a disastrous campaign in Vietnam and the victories of the Don Quixotes of the media as they charged the windmills of Watergate. All in one lifetime, all gone, gone with the wind. But behind the debris of these self-styled, sullen supermen and imperial diplomatists, there stands the gigantic figure of one person because of whom, by whom, in whom, and through whom alone mankind might still have hope. The person of Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus Christ stood before a world, gave his life, was raised from the grave. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and our Coming King. He is the one who redeems 
He is the one who transforms. He's the one who heals. And he is the one whose destiny we are about. It's Jesus and him alone. I want to know Christ and to make him known. Melissa and I started Eagle Church 21 years ago. These are familiar settings for us. We remember walking through different seasons of life and even restarting a second campus here in the last few years. And, and we recall the journey of so much of uh, the growth that God brings about with new churches. But I tell you what, it's so dangerous. It's so scary. And God's reminded me afresh in the last number of months as I've sought his glory afresh and anew to make sure that we stay about the main thing. And that's to know him and to present him afresh and anew and alive. Because you can add programs, you can add agendas, you can add opportunities, you can add all the mechanics and the structure. And before you know it, you've got a big machine going and you're trying to just feed the machine and keep the machine going faster and faster. And part of you inside just says, I want to be done with it. Don't go there. You go back to what's most important. The gospel is Jesus. We moved on to a larger campus. It was actually a cornfield. And after a few years, we were in a facility there. We were able to craft down a 12-acre lake. And I remember the big day when we said, let's have an outdoor baptism in our lake. And I want to close with showing you a video that actually showed at district conference a couple years ago that Bill Malik reminded me of. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to put it front and center for us. I want you to watch this video. And I want to... I want us to be reminded of the most important thing, that Jesus Christ is alive and real, and he wants to know each and every person intimately. And he wants us to know him, not to know him because of or if all the things that we have in our mind, all the other agendas, the legalistic things, the things the dogs are out about. He wants us to be in an intimate, loving relationship with him, and there's something so pure about baptism, whether it's someone who's been baptized a number of years after they crossed the line of faith, or we had people that very day towards the end come down off the shore banks and get baptized that very hour. It was a great celebration. And following this video, I want to pray for us, and I want to pray for you. We had 57 people baptized that first time in August of 2010. May you contemplate if maybe you've gotten off on the wrong path that your scoreboard is sort of keeping track of the wrong things. Or maybe you're getting eaten up by the dogs. Find your way back to the purity of that relationship of knowing Christ and making him known. The one consuming passion. Would you pray with me? Lord, we do want to be living for your glory. And here in these moments, Lord, as we focus to turn our hearts back to a fresh couple songs of worship, we pray, Jesus, that we would keep the main thing the main thing. We love you, Lord. Just in these quiet moments with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask anybody, if you've never crossed that line of faith, make your life about Jesus Christ but you would like to do so this morning you don't know all the details but you know there's a lot of things that's rubbish in your life and you don't have the presence of Jesus 
as an intimate companion and Lord and Savior and Redeemer and Transformer, resident in your own very being, and you want Christ to become your Savior and Lord this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something sort of bold, just like some of those people walked into the lake that day. I just want you to stand. I'm going to mention your name, so I'll include you in a prayer. Is there anyone this morning just simply saying, I want to follow Jesus Christ with all of my heart, to the best of my knowledge? Anyone? Lord Jesus we want to shine like stars in the universe but we know that's impossible without your light in our life and so Lord we pray that indeed for any who would need to cross that line of faith maybe not today but in the coming weeks and months that you would sort of nudge them along to make that jump of full abandonment into your arms And Lord, all of us who know you know that there's others who need to know you. May you quicken us with wisdom and discernment and compassion to reach a lost world to bring you glory. For you are the one who stands behind all of history. And on the precipice of a week and weeks when we don't necessarily even know what might end up happening in a Middle East situation, Lord, we know that you are that gigantic figure by which mankind can still have hope. Lord, make us individuals, make us a people, make us a church that leads people to you. Jesus, you are beautiful in so many ways, and we worship you in your name.